1: All right. Once again, welcome to the show. I want to thank my sponsors, including Landmark Risk Management and Insurance, as well as Alta Bank Mortgage Lenders. And, and as I introduce my guest here, I just I want to marvel at something that I've seen in my life. This is going to sound like a brag. I'll try to make it a humble brag at that. But for some reason, I have been very blessed that God has placed people in my life who, if I can't be where the news is happening, more often than not, I, I know someone who is, and, and, and this opportunity to go to the source rather than have to filter it all through the mass media and the various spin filters and, and, and omissions that they you know apply to whatever news story is, is being reported, it has been just an invaluable thing. And I am so happy to welcome my friend Charity White, who joins me from the Washington, D.C. area. Charity, thank you so much for coming on my show and spending a few minutes of your precious time with us.
2: Yeah, no problem. Thank you, Brian.
1: I want to introduce you as someone who is is very familiar with the principles and practices of liberty. You and I have worked together and we've talked together about a number of different uh, um, freedom-related concerns. In fact, you were one of the people who uh, very uh, admirably headed up an effort to help the Finicum family a couple of years back after the the death of Lavoie Finicum. And, and so... When I heard that you and your family, and I actually saw this on Facebook, I was following you guys on Facebook, when I heard you were in Washington, D.C. for the big rally that took place yesterday, I was excited because I knew that's that's a principled person and a group of principled people who were there. Talk to us a little bit about why you and your family chose to go to Washington, D.C. for this this massive rally that took place yesterday.
2: Okay, yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because I think that's one that's one thing I want to clear up. Um, I'm seeing everywhere that, that we were there for Trump, and that's not true. Uh, I know my family, as well as many—I can't speak for everyone there because there were there were a million, uh, at least. I've never seen that many people in one place. And um, most of those people were there to, to show that we're not okay with a stolen election, and therefore a stolen country. I'm not— um, Yeah, I'm not okay with that, and that's why I went. I thought it might be helpful to make sure that the numbers were high when they looked out their windows and they were discussing that topic and saw, you know, the support. A healthy dose of of fear is okay. Uh, It's okay to fear the the uh, the people a little bit.
1: Thomas Jefferson himself Um, would agree. Yeah, liberty is when the government fears the people. Tyranny is when the people fear their government.
2: Exactly. So we were there too because of that, because we felt that, that not only was the election stolen, maybe some you agree with that or maybe you don't, but the facts were not being heard. And there, were, there was no platform for that. And it was being stifled, the proof.
1: See, and that's I so appreciate you bringing this up, because uh, the, right now the, the, the memo that went out, at least among most media outlets, is, well, this is just a bunch of sore losers who are mad because their candidate didn't get into a second term in office. What you're describing, though, is people who are concerned about the process itself and the fact that they, basically they were shooed away like little children when they went to express those concerns.
2: Exactly. I, I can tell you I have never worn a MAGA hat in my life. I am not. Um, I am I geared closer to a libertarian. I've, I don't uh, worship any president. And I feel like they all have strengths and weaknesses. So I, that is definitely not why I was there. And I think that that a lot of people were not there for that.
1: Let's talk about what you saw and what you experienced, because, as you mentioned, there were probably close to a million people in attendance there. Um, how violent was the rally where you were standing?
2: <laughs> you know, we we got pretty close. Uh, we as we were walking up, we heard a few people say they broke they broke the barriers. You know, they went. They, and so we kind of we didn't know if it was true. We just kept going. We we didn't personally see the barriers get moved Um But honestly, uh, me personally, I don't have an issue with that. Um, We saw where the barriers would have been, and it was offensively far away. They wouldn't have been able hardly to see us. I mean, hard to – I guess they could have because there were so many people. But uh, you can peacefully protest closer to the Capitol. When we got closer and closer, we saw a few people that were – getting up on the steps and then getting closer to the doors. And then we started hearing that they were trying to get in. One of the guys came back and said, yeah, we're trying to get in. And I, I wanted to get the details from him. And And then we, we actually asked him, why are you trying to get in? You know? Um, and he said, well, he didn't really have a reason. And there, there really was no purpose, I feel, to do that, especially with, most of the people there didn't support that. I would say there were – at least a million people there and of the people that were up there on the steps uh, climbing up you know the wall not even 1% not even close they don't show all of the peaceful people just standing there and not agreeing with it just it's it's crazy to me it is not even close to the same rally that I was at yesterday all they show and there's a reason for it is the same footage over and over of a few of one place because it was only happening in one small area. And it was a very, it was a very small group comparatively who went in. It was a larger group who went up onto the actual steps, but technically that's not against the law. to walk up the steps of the Capitol building. So um, yeah, that's how it happened. And as I was watching, I filmed, you know, that they were kind of climbing up and I, I didn't agree with that. And most people didn't. Um, But it was not nearly as bad as they they claimed. In fact, I saw that they said five people died, but four of those people, it was an asthma attack or a heart attack, and it was only one who got shot. So they're really stretching the truth there, you know, as far as the amount of people who died. They're, They're taking help into consideration
1: talk to me about the president's remarks because right now the 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 major spin is that well the president incited this he told his uh, supporters to go and attack and mindlessly they went and attacked tell me what what did he actually say in his remarks
2: no yeah i I mean i recorded them uh he, he he just said he'd walk with us to the capitol um i my view and i What I got from that was that it was just saying, hey, let's show how many people don't support this stolen election. He said that right after he listed for he listed for a long time the proof that they had the election was stolen. He listed it uh, just on one thing on top of another for so long. And right after that, he said, let's go walk to the Capitol. So I felt like he was kind of relating that to. You know, to the still an election, it had nothing to do with him or anything. And I agree. I think it would help. I thought it would help to have that large group of people putting a little pressure on the people inside. Interesting. Not through violence, obviously. Nothing, nothing but just the mere presence of seeing the people outside who who didn't don't agree with it.
1: Well, of course, uh, Congress right now, or at least many members of Congress, are playing the victim. As uh, as I don't think too many people would have would have uh, suspected they would do otherwise. What uh, what have they done? Have they locked down the whole city? What's it, What's it like right now in Washington D.C.?
2: Uh, yeah, everything's closed down. Um, I'm not in the actual city right now. We're actually at the United States. Air Force Memorial because we wanted to go to Arlington, uh, but they were closed, and so yeah, I think they've they've locked everything down for the most part. Um, it's just you know they're they're using it to their advantage, and and it wasn't as scary. Just like always, it's it was a few crazy people who wanted to make the rest of us look bad, and I, I do think that, um, while I was there, there was a group of men who said, "Yeah, we, we saw, you know, we saw some some guys." telling these other guys where to go and how to get up and encouraging them to to go up the wall. And I do think there were some people there planted to entice, take advantage of, you know, the emotions and things. But in general, there was not an angry feeling. People weren't storming the Capitol. It was a very few amount of people who did that. And the rest didn't agree. So.
1: Well, I I so appreciate that you and your family took the pains to be there. You mentioned to me, you know, that uh, the, the whole city or at least a lot of parts of the city were being set up and told, make it tough on these people who are showing up. You went to get your rental car. Oh, sorry. That was given away. Um, yeah. There were clearly people who did not want to see that show of support for Trump. And, and now it's being spun as well. We have to expunge him from the national memory. I mean, I, I hear talk that uh, someone's going to try uh, to, to invoke impeachment proceedings to remove him from office. The hatred that oh. to, that the D.C. establishment has toward that man, I think, is very disproportionate to any actual harm he may have done during his time in office.
2: I agree. I agree. And like I said, I wasn't I'm not a. I'm not that person with the MAGA hat on. I was there to contest what happened, and that the, the proof is being stifled, I and mean, that's wrong. You know, we, we if we always have such blatant fraud, I feel I feel like we've had fraud for a long time. But when it's so blatant and everyone turns a blind eye, um, that's that's a scary thing for any anything in the future.
1: Here, here, Charity. Thank you so much for taking some time to be my guest today. Have a safe and happy rest of your vacation.
2: Thank you, Brian. It was nice talking with you.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: All right, welcome back to the show. I take it as a great compliment that uh, yesterday my phone was blowing up for most of the afternoon and uh, for much of the night as well. And, and I take that as a compliment only in the sense that uh, there were a lot of people reaching out to me and just like, hey, what do you think about what's going on? And and like you, I'm concerned. I, I have a I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of trepidation whenever i see something that that it, where violence is being used to accomplish a goal i'm like oof not good and that includes when government is the one using that violence i think even more so than the fact that oh my gosh people went in there and acted like they were on animal house you know mugging for selfies in the in the capitol building you know put their feet up on on nancy pelosi's desk as concerning as that is i'm even more concerned with the sense of anger that members of Congress felt, not because of the disrespect that they were being shown, you know, or the disrespect that the halls of government were being shown. I mean, look, three times at least, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and somebody else, I can't remember who, uh, referred to, they have desecrated the temple of our democracy. And there's a part of me that just thinks, are you serious? You want to pretend like what you do is sacred? When it's clear that uh, all you do in a day to day, you know, bit of work is you, you climb out of the cesspool in which you work and in which you swim so that you can go piddle on the Constitution and then climb back into the cesspool and start swimming again. There, there is no sense of sanctity to call it a sacred temple. Now, that's not to say that it doesn't represent some pretty lofty ideals. It should. At least the system of governance that that we were given by the founding generation, I think, you know, considering it was created by imperfect individuals, nonetheless, provided an unprecedented amount of freedom under the the rubric of limited government and natural rights. I actually talk about this in, in the other hour of my show today. Uh, Judge Napolitano has a terrific essay about uh, why why Liberty should be the underpinning ideal for every decision that we make concerning government. But we got to be honest at some point. And the people right now who are like, I just can't believe the disrespect. Oh, how awful it was. The people were up there showing Disrespect. I'm sorry, but if if you haven't had that kind of heartburn over how Congress has been conducting itself, not just in recent years or in recent weeks, but like over the last few decades, if you haven't had that kind of heartburn, I'm sorry, but your credibility is, uh, how can I put this, less than it should be. You're just jumping on the bandwagon. So all of that, uh, that outrage about, well, you know, but they they were disrespectful to the the temple of our democracy. It's a temple of doom. In the sense that if, if it's supposed to represent something sacred, the only thing that I think these these people like Nancy Pelosi and Charles Schumer and others, Mitt Romney, I'm sorry, I'm looking your direction too, all this outrage that you're expressing. Is more because you see it as an attack on your ruling status. Your sense of entitlement. And that's a big part of what's wrong. I'm not, saying that, uh, I'm not saying that these are evil or even stupid individuals, these politicians. But I fear that they have, they've bought into the idea that somehow they are made from a finer clay than the rest of us. And the relationship that they are supposed to enjoy with us as representatives, they are supposed to be employees of the people from which our system of government derives its just powers. They flipped it on its head. We're not your servants. We are your rulers. And when we say to do something, you better do it. And if we tell you we won the election, so you shut up and you better do what we say. I mean, there, there is such joy at the prospect of, oh, we're going to control the Senate. We're going to control the White House. We're going to control the House. The world is ours. I know how radical this sounds, but I'm going to try and say it as gently as I can. Without my consent, you get Jack. <laughs> You can pass all the laws you want. You put those words on paper. You might even be able to enforce some of them. Lord knows you found some ways to worm your way into my life. But without my consent, I will continue to live as a free man, or at least as free as possible, in defiance of whatever it is you think you are entitled to tell me to do. And I'll do it with a clear conscience. Because as long as my behavior is peaceful, you aren't going to do anything to stop me. Oh, and here's the icing on the cake. There are millions of people who feel as I do. Granted, some people are politically possessed and they're going to be obsessed over, you know, what's, what's going on politically. I'm at peace. And the reason I'm at peace is I am not going to give my consent to my moral inferiors who think that they have some kind of a mandate to rule me with an iron fist for my own good. Nope. It's not going to happen. So, you pat yourselves on the back and you do what you have to do. I think right now the big, the big move is we must purge all memory of Donald Trump. Well, <laughs> you knock yourselves out. I think there, there's talk right now of invoking the 25th Amendment. There's talk about we've got to impeach him. They hate this guy so badly. And yet they don't even recognize that, uh, that the anger that they saw on display yesterday is something that they very much have a part in fomenting and creating. They couldn't be more tone deaf. And the worst part is, even when Trump has left the building, even when he is no longer a part of the picture, there's still going to be miserable, power hungry people who will not be content because they just can't get enough of that drug power. And it will lead to their downfall. I mean, I hope, I hope they don't uh, have to learn a Ceausescu or Mussolini-type lesson, but historically, the drunker you get on power, the harder you fall. That's history warning. That's not me making any threat. That's just historically what happens. Power consumes those people who tend to abuse it. Caller, welcome to the show.
3: So did you get a kick out of all the hypocrisy and the... from the major media...
1: No, it sickens me.
3: <laughs> it, it, it's, it's so amazing to watch this. They're, they're, they they put, they're just reverse osmosis. They completely twist, twist it around when the narrative isn't for them. I mean, they're talking about how beautiful the Capitol is and the history. This is George Stephanopoulos in, on ABC News. I, I couldn't watch it for more than a minute. You know, how beautiful the capital is and the, how it holds all. But meanwhile, in other parts of the nation, they're cheering on that they're taking down statues and, and ripping them out. You know, it's just ludicrous what we are contributing to. Yeah,
1: there's a, there's a you reason know. why I won't watch the news. They have nothing to offer me. There's nothing they can offer me that in any way... It yeah, builds my understanding of the world around me. All it is is just their spin, and and I'm not going to line up for it. They can shovel that to they can shovel that to somebody else.
3: I, I like to watch it to see what maybe if I can catch a glimpse of what's going on with local news or something other than the politics or or the weather or incoming storms. Maybe get a quick pick of the Doppler radar and see what's coming on. You know, it's kind of like the only reason I, I watch it. But I did Fair catch enough. on to. Uh, Yeah, fair enough. But, uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, this is crazy. And uh, I think, uh, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be, just like you said, they're going to be now, all the Democrats, now that they have all of each other, now they're going to start feeding on each other.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I don't want any part of whatever it is they're trying to accomplish, because they're trying to accomplish it by using power, using force to, to make it happen. So I won't say I'm turning my back on it, but I'm not going to give it my moral energy and I'm certainly not going to give it any of my consent or allegiance. So we've got better things to do. And frankly, I'm happy when I see people doing those better things. That's where my interest is going to go.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: All right, welcome back to the show. By the way, phone lines are open, 801-331-8113, if you'd like to join in the conversation. I feel like I'm, I'm riding a roller coaster, and so if, if I seem a little bit strident, and then I'm calm, I, I notice it too. I can't help it. I, I do feel strongly about what's going on. And, and I guess here's, here's my parting shot at the politicians and the media that have such, such blatant hypocrisy who could turn a blind eye or justify, well, you know, these, uh, these riots and the burning and looting and, and all the violence that we saw take place over a course of months in 2020, they could excuse it all because there's injustice that's at stake here. And then we have to understand this. And it's, it's something that fits their agenda. But boy, you let a few people or a few hundred people, as the case may be, force their way into the Capitol. Although I've seen the video and yes, there is a place where the police actually opened up the barricades and let them in. Um, You know, I'm not going to deny they were misbehaving. Absolutely. But boy, that is like the worst thing ever. Oh, what a what a horrible thing. And so this this mostly peaceful double standard. We're supposed to believe that this was this was insurrection. This was sedition. This was terrorism and so forth. Um, the hypocrisy is pretty tough to take. This is what Rob was referring to. You know, it's it's like it, it's a staggering amount of hypocrisy. My solution is I don't want to go head to head with these people. With the, the media talking heads, the spinmeisters, the politicians, the ones who are trying to milk this for some kind of ideological advantage, My solution is something that I consider elegant and effective, and that is make them irrelevant. Honestly, it's what they fear more than, you know, getting into a knockdown, drag out rhetorical battle or even a physical battle with you. Make them irrelevant. Make politicians as irrelevant as you possibly can. What are they going to do? Are they going to come to your house? Are they going to send people to your house? They'll talk like they want to. But you can still make them irrelevant. The media, unplug. Seriously, turn your back on it. You have other options. If it's so important that you want to know something. By the way, some of the happiest people I know right now are people who have other things going on in their lives other than to sit around and feed on the fear that is being pumped at them from the mass media. Sadly, one of my friends is is dealing with one of his kids has got a heart condition. So he says, I'm not watching any news right now. My response is, good for you. My advice is, stay unplugged from the matrix for as long as you can. You're focusing on what's important. That relationship with your daughter, her health, there is nothing that's more important than that right now. All of this, gesturing to the world around us, the politics and everything, it can burn to ashes. But if your relationship with your daughter is solid, it doesn't matter. And so I'm I'm inviting you consider ways that you can turn your back on those who want to rule you, whether it's mentally or whether it's politically. Find a way to turn your back on them and focus the effort and the energy that you would be putting into fighting these battles into something that actually creates value for you, for your neighbors, your family. For your, your relationship with your creator. There's so much more to life than the stuff that's being hyped at us right now. All right, let's get to the phone. Caller, welcome to the show. Going once. Going twice. And moving on. I actually want to share with you a commentary from Kent McManagle. This is uh, something that shows up in my email inbox on a pretty regular basis because I subscribe to everythingvoluntary.com. Some pretty interesting writers. They always have a fresh take. And I liked Kent McManigle's message here. It's up to you to make 2021 better. I did have to laugh when I saw the meme yesterday of somebody, you know, kind of pretty much just oh, looking, blown away and saying, well, it was a good five days while it lasted. <laughs> As 2021 went off the rails. Uh, we all kind of feel that. Kent McManigal says, was the year 2020 not to your liking? Do you want 2021 to be better? He says, then make it better. It's mostly up to you. Now, listen to what he's saying here. He says, there will be things beyond your control, but you can choose how you feel about them and how you react to them. You can be stampeded over a cliff by those who gain power from your fear and compliance, or you can be responsible for yourself. You can act on the science promoted by political hysterics or on the science that shows there's no need to panic and zero reasons to give up liberty. He says, the calmer path has never backfired on me. He says, I'm more than ready to take back the liberty that was trampled and stolen over the past year. No is a powerful word, one which should be used more often. Now, it won't make you popular because standing firm isn't popular with those who'd prefer you go along and not make a fuss, no matter what's being done to you. But he says, you don't have to make a scene over every ridiculous demand. Pick your battles. If you don't have a clear line in the sand, a line you won't be pushed across, you need to find where yours is. And then stick to it, no matter the cost. As many have pointed out, if you won't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And Kent McManigal says, it'll be hard if you're on your own. If others see you making a stand, maybe they'll be inspired to join you. If not, it's still better to do the right thing alone than to go with the crowd doing the wrong thing or allowing the wrong thing to be done to you and others. And I like what he says here. He says, I'm on your side as long as you aren't violating the life, liberty, or property of any other human being. So I'm probably not on your side if you're using politics, meaning government and legislation. If your great grandkids were to ask you what you did when Liberty was on the line back in 2021, wouldn't you be able to wouldn't you rather be able to answer with your head held high saying you refused to help politicians and politicized experts destroy America? Or would you rather admit you didn't speak out but went along because it was safer? He says, I'd be ashamed to have to give this answer. I can do better. So if 2020 wasn't the best year, look in the mirror to see who's responsible for making 2021 better. I really like that he uses the example of, um, you know, what would you tell your, your grandkids? What would you tell your great grandkids if they're standing around your deathbed? Vin Soprinowitz, who used to write for the Las Vegas jur- Review Journal, asked the same kind of question. Do you want to be known as somebody who went along with uh, what was safe? And, you know, I took the easy path, but, you know, here I am. Well, would you rather be known as somebody who said it was hard? I paid a price. People hated me. People talked down about me. But I did it for you. I was willing to take the hits because it mattered. See, to me, that's inspiring. And that's a lot more about to, just it's about more than simply being driven by, well, I hate the right people and I hate the right things. Being enemy driven isn't enough. Caller, welcome to the show.
4: Hey, Brian, I just got out of O'Reilly's, and for months I've been going to O'Reilly Auto Parts because things were cool inside, but in, a, in about a month, they've lost their mind. They've gone full Harmons.
1: Oh, really? So so the mask oh. enforcement is, is hardcore.
4: Wow. Well, they didn't push me out, but we had words, and I, I thought the one guy might take a swing at me, and then this other guy, this other maskers, started yelling at me and and uh, he was saying I'm going to call the cops You're not wearing a mask I said go ahead call it's not law and then the guy then I then the guy the, the, another guy behind that you know a couple of F words and wow. I said it's not law gentlemen how, what, what is your line in the sand how long are you going to put up with this psychological operation a bunch and seven months before that you guys were cool what has happened in the last 30 days And then he went off on the 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 ICU units are over full. The hospitals are overflowing. I said, "How many beds? Huh? How many beds? I'm told there's only less than 50 beds in the state." Wow. And and then I said, "Look at your business. Your business is run to capacity, right? Most businesses run 90 to 100 percent all the time. That's how you make money." He had nothing to say. Anyway, they I got my stuff and left, but it's getting kooky, my friend.
1: I'm sorry to hear that something has changed in, in their mentality. And sadly, I see it happening on a pretty widespread basis right now. So I'm with you, Jared. You got to know what your line in the sand is.
4: Yeah, and you better get used to ordering things online because it's just, one, there'll be shortages. Two, it's getting, it's getting weirder out there. Go that in with other people is. and, yeah. yeah. Okay. Thanks,
1: Brian. Thanks so much for the call. When we come back, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about COVID-19 and the lockdowns. I have an article here from John Miltimore, and it's titled, Strictest U.S. Lockdown Can't Stem California COVID Cases. Now, I want you to understand, I am not denying that there is a, there's a real pandemic going on. But aren't you just a little bit curious how the harder some places lock things down, it still doesn't affect the spread of the virus? Doesn't mean you throw your hands in the air and do nothing, but can we at least admit what they're trying to do isn't working?
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what's happening with COVID-19. I think that uh, in light of some of the stuff we saw yesterday, you're going to see more COVID restrictions used as kind of a backdoor method to consolidate control. Look, I have no doubt politicians who were uh, legitimately afraid yesterday when their, their sacred temple of democracy was, was violated... They are going to be looking for ways to lock things down to to make. uh, First of all, you know, any anybody who wants to go near the Capitol is is going to have to have government permission. That's going to be part of it. But uh, I think they're also going to be looking at ways to to control the population. What better way to isolate and to uh, to pinch off, you know, the 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 problem children, the ones who will not get on board, who will not give their consent and will not uh, otherwise do as they're told than using COVID as an excuse. Which brings us to the question, why is it that those with the strictest US lockdowns like California still can't stem the COVID cases? You would think at some level, these politicians would would have to realize, look, what we're doing isn't working, but instead they're taking the approach of we just have to do it harder. It reminds me of this clip from The Simpsons. Mm,
4: I guess we're not going to find anything. Uh, How are we going to get out of here? we'll dig our way out
1: now now, dig up stupid (laughs) dig up stupid just try harder all right so uh, let's talk about this john miltimore from the foundation for economic education has another knock it out of the ballpark article about california and its strict lockdowns and how it hasn't done anything to stem the spread of COVID-19. He says COVID-19 vaccine may have arrived, but government lockdowns are far from over. On Monday, Prime Minister Boris Johnson reinstated a strict lockdown in the United Kingdom, citing a surge in infections and hospitalizations fueled by what officials say is a more transmissible variant of the coronavirus. Johnson said it is clear that we need to do more to bring this new variant under control. That means the government is once again instructing you to stay at home. Lockdowns remain a reality in many parts of the U.S. as well, although many states, Alaska, Florida, Missouri, South Dakota and Alabama, among them, have abandoned nearly all restrictions. Multistate, a state and local government relations company, has a tool which allows readers to track lockdown stringency in U.S. states. Now, the company's methodology relies on reporting on nearly a dozen factors. Are residents under stay-at-home orders? Are bars and restaurants allowed to operate beyond delivery? What constitutes an essential business? This is in order to determine each state's rankings. So the states with the lowest open score are the following. California at number 50, New Mexico at number 49, then Washington, Illinois, Hawaii, Oregon, Delaware, Vermont, New York, Michigan, and Colorado. Now, will the lockdowns never end? John Milton says many believed lockdowns might be nearing an end with the announcement of effective vaccines. But unfortunately, that seems far from certain. Lawmakers continue to rely on lockdowns and various other restrictions in an effort to tame the spread of the virus. But these restrictions come at heavy cost to individuals and economies, job losses, business closures, depression, drug overdoses and a massive surge in poverty among them. He says this evidence in itself would bring into serious question the ethics of infringing on basic freedoms and fundamental human rights in an effort to slow transmission of a virus. However, lockdowns become even more questionable when one considers evidence that suggests these draconian restrictions seem to have little impact in slowing the spread of the virus. Now you're going to want to access the article which is linked in today's show notes at the dot Because John backs this up with charts and graphs that demonstrate what he's showing here. The aforementioned United Kingdom, for example, is reimposing a lockdown, we're told. But data show the U.K.'s lockdown stringency has remained remarkably consistent. The toll of the virus, however, has not. In other words, despite the remarkable consistency of the U.K.'s lockdown stringency, the virus has continued to spread at its own pace. Data in the U.S. tells a similar story. California, despite having the strictest lockdown in the country, has the most active cases by far. Sure, California is the most populous state in the U.S., but the 1.4 million active cases is more than double the next closest state, Florida, which has roughly 609,000 active cases. On a per capita basis, California's active cases are about 30 percent higher than Florida, which has virtually no restrictions in place. To put it another way, California currently represents about 17% of all active cases in the U.S. Similar patterns can be found in other strict lockdown states like New Mexico, Washington, and Illinois, all of which are witnessing sharp upticks in cases and deaths, despite having some of the strictest lockdown policies in the U.S. counter however, can also be found. Oregon, Vermont, Delaware, and others have seen more modest case increases and deaths with the arrival of winter. So the takeaway here isn't that politicians in Delaware and Vermont had better pandemic plans than lawmakers in California or New Mexico, or even that they're achieving better compliance. In fact, he says, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti recently pointed out the virus is surging in L.A. County, despite great compliance with public health recommendations. Instead, the takeaway is that central planners can't manage the coronavirus, not effectively anyway they lack the knowledge and the mechanisms of control necessary to control something as complex as a virus and he says to be fair managing through managing a submicroscopic infectious agent that uh, replicates by transmitting itself through living cells is a rather tall task a little more complicated than say delivering the mail but he points out the inability of central planners to effectively manage the virus needs to be acknowledged one of the duties of the economist is to offer a dose of reality to those who dream they can create anything if only they have enough power. Nobel Prize-winning economist F.A. Hayek famously explained in The Fatal Conceit, the curious task of economics is to demonstrate to men how little they really know about what they imagine they can design. So lockdowns may not be effective, but that doesn't mean they're going away. Politicians are incentivized to embrace them even if they don't work. Perhaps the best way to end the lockdowns is for Americans to remember that all people are born with certain unalienable rights and that government exists only to secure these rights. He says once people remember this basic truth, they can find the courage and fortitude to peacefully resist this historic government overreach that has proven so harmful to so many. Now, fortunately, many are already doing so from Beverly Hills to Louisville to New York City and beyond. Americans are rediscovering the great tradition of civil disobedience. The great American poet Henry David Thoreau, author of Civil Disobedience, once asserted, I was not born to be forced. I will breathe after my own fashion. And John Miltimore reminds us that's a principle we should never have forgotten. So what does that look like for you and me? Well, it's probably going to be different for each of us. but I'm going to suggest that it's, it's definitely a decision and it's, it's the kind of thing that we should have an answer at hand. Were you born to be forced? I mean, some people, look, I, I don't know a nice way to put this, but some people prefer to be told what to do. It takes a lot of the guesswork out of life. It takes the risk of, well, what if I make the wrong decision? But there are others, I would count myself in this latter group, I will listen to good advice. I will listen to good, persuasive information. But when you start mandating it, when you start threatening me and telling me I have to be forced to do this or that because it's for my own good, you're going to probably end up with some resistance. Press me hard enough and you're going to have a fight on your hands. I was not born to be forced either, and neither were you. To me, this is really the great dividing line in human decency. If I had to summarize, you know, what to, What these people who, uh, you know, for instance, talking with Charity White earlier in the show, why did so many people show up in Washington, D.C.? I mean, now she could answer for herself. We can't answer for everybody. But I feel fairly safe in asserting that a, a majority of those people were there, not because they were Kool-Aid drinking cultists who believe in Donald Trump and think that uh, he walks on water and end their prayers in his name. I suspect they're just the kind of people who see their system of governance being taken away from them, whether by hook or by crook. And they simply want to be left alone to pursue happiness. They don't want to force their views on anybody else. They don't want to they don't want to have people coming and and plundering them or their property using the power of government to do so. They just want to be left alone. Leave me alone. Leave my stuff alone. I will do the same for you. That's a very reasonable approach to life, I would think. But for some people, it's intolerable. We can't do that. Why, if I'm not telling you what to do, you might do something that, uh, that I don't approve of. It's those people with the controlling nature that get offended at the idea that I might want to live my life without their license. And all I can tell them is, look, you've been fairly warned. You really should back away from the edge of the abyss before it's too late.